0: New doesn't equal best. The fashion industry has just hammered this point home for years and years and years that like the newest and latest and greatest hype thing is the best thing. And you know we know that for the planet that's been really disastrous. And so we we just think a great piece of clothing could be a really well-made fun pair of trousers from three seasons ago, and that if it's new to you, then that's just as exciting as buying something that is newly in the shops.
1: Welcome to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. I'm Joy and in this episode, Lyle and I are shooting the breeze with Tamsin Chislett, the co-founder of OnLoan, one of the UK's first fashion rental companies. Tamsin shares her thoughts on squiggly careers, fast fashion, and why now is the time for fashion rental. We also cover how OnLoan works and some of the extraordinary brands they offer. And of course, the world is still smack bang in the middle of dealing with and figuring out how to recover from COVID-19. So we chat about that too. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode, including all the relevant links over at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Warning in advance, this episode will make you want to wear some bold and inspiring clothing, even if it's just at home for now. So let's get right into it with Tamsin Chisley. Hello, and Welcome to the show. So lovely to reconnect with you. Thank you for joining us. Let's get stuck right in to learn a little bit more about you. Where were you born, and where did you grow up?
0: Hi, Joy. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so I was born in Wiltshire, which is a, a county out in the west country in the UK, in, and I grew up in a um, very small, I would say, village. It's actually not even a village. It's a hamlet. I grew up in the middle of the countryside, basically. <laughs> um there was a a half an hour walk to the nearest very small shop so um wow yeah looking back it was quite bucolic we had chickens and a big garden where I made dens and a stream at the bottom sounds incredible yeah it was yeah with glorious my parents still live there so I get to take my kids there which is just the absolute dream and to be honest right now during lockdown I'm craving it quite hard
1: oh a bit a bit now, we also, we took a look a little look at your career path on LinkedIn, and you've had quite the range of amazing things that you've done.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about that path? Yeah, I found out there's a name for this. It's officially called a squiggly career, it's like a good <laughs> thing that you can spin as being really positive, rather than it looking like you've had no idea what you've wanted to do for a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it has, there's been a few random things, in there. there's been some quite sharp left turns as well, um, which I'm sure is all going to make sense when I get to the end. Um, so <laughs> I, I left university maybe oh, like 11, 12 years ago, and took a year out. I thought I was going to work for sort of international development organizations. I spent time volunteering in Nepal and in Tanzania. And I don't know when, at what point in that year, somebody said to me, you should go and get some skills, but somebody did. and I basically returned to the UK thinking, okay, before I do that again, I need to actually make myself useful. And so joined Bain, And um, I was there for two years as a consultant, kind of learning all the ropes of, of business. I took some time out and worked in Zimbabwe for a coffee mill, um, wow. which, yeah, which was amazing. It has since gone bankrupt, but it really wasn't my fault. It was so much the Zimbabwean economy it was a pretty tough economy to grow yeah. a business in at the time. But we did um, we did we found different sources of revenue for it and, and for me it was it was like my first taster of when business can do something like really good and valuable and not just be a business for business sake. So after Bain, I went to Uganda and worked for Acumen, which is a big impact investor based in the US, and they invest in businesses all around the world in emerging markets that have a strong social purpose as well as a as a sort of business purpose. And I ended up working for a cotton factory in the north of Uganda, which was exactly as random as that sounds.
2: <laughs> How long were you based there?
0: I was based in Gulu, which is this town up in the north of Uganda. I was there for a year. And then um, my boyfriend, still my boyfriend, had um, come out to join me. And he actually was really enjoying it. So we moved to Kampala, the capital, and stayed for another year and a, and a bit. And it was amazing. I Yeah, I had a, it was a proper one of those life changing experiences. I was working in this cotton factory that employed a few hundred farmers, I'm um, sorry, a few hundred employees, and then bought cotton from, I don't know, I think we were up to about 10,000 or 15,000 farmers. Sure. And we were really the first business that had moved in after um, a long civil war between um, Joseph Coney, like, notorious fame, and the government. All the charities had kind of done their bit, and the World Food Program had done their bit whilst the war was going on, but it all ended when I got there, and this business was the first business to start really employing people and buying stuff and generating a sort of functioning economy. And um yeah, I got to be helpful, which just felt amazing and will live with me forever. It's probably one of the most formative work experiences. So um, I love that. When I came back to the UK I joined a tech startup, partly because it just felt like everyone was joining tech startups <laughs> and I thought i missed something. Um, and I I joined a really great team who I'm still very good friends with, but the, um, the business was essentially focused on um, being a platform for people to book event space. And having worked with such meaningful businesses out in Uganda, I, I just couldn't quite hack working for a business that didn't have a really strong sense of purpose. And so um, after just under a year there, I left and joined Clearly So, which was a company that helps other companies to raise money. But it solely works with companies that have a strong social or environmental mission. And it links them to investors who want to have impact alongside making money. And it hopes that by doing that, it um, helps these great companies get invested in. But it also makes sure that they've got investors who are aligned with their values. Um, and so I learned all about raising money and handling investors, um, but also about the sort of tensions between business and sustainability and ethics, I guess. Um so enjoyed that too, but then was really ready to sort of branch out and do something on my own. And so we came around to the idea of On Loan. Um, I think I left clearly, so just, just under two years ago. So yeah, that's my squiggly career so far.
1: Sounds like the dream squiggly career. I mean, you must have learned so much along that path. And I was going to ask you sort of like, how did you originally come to be interested in sustainability and social enterprise? But it sounds like that experience in Uganda was really what sort of... Uh, set you off on a new path but clearly you were also already interested in volunteering and sort of more socially oriented activities in your life as well do you can you pinpoint sort of why you care about things like that in your from your background or do you think that that was just you
0: a big part of it comes from my parents so my parents are both primary school teachers and um so that you know they've obviously had like one of the most meaningful careers dedicating 40 years of their life to to education it's just amazing and They strongly discouraged me from being a primary school teacher. (laughs) Um, They they really enjoyed it, but I think they thought that I could maybe make a bit more money (laughs) and um, and spend less of my evenings like marking reports. So I knew I wanted to do something really meaningful because I'd always that's kind of work that I'd known from them. Um, But I wasn't going to be a primary school teacher, and so really it was sort of the other way around. I I I thought I would end up working for um, big charities or you know. So sort of dream job would be with the UN or um, or UNICEF or something and um, and actually it was the business bit that got added on a bit later. It was that education at Bain and realizing that I loved business and then in Uganda realizing that you could combine business and doing something really meaningful and important and and so now that's yeah Uganda sort of solidified that both of them can happen at once for me.
1: Tell us about the the journey of on uh, how did that idea come about and how did you get it off the ground I understand you have a partner as well a co-founder
0: the fashion industry in particular has always been a sort of of interest of mine I I think it first came about because we were having one of those chats that you have and I, I don't think we're the only group of friends who do this where you wonder what it is that your children are going to be really embarrassed about on your behalf you know like when you look back at it's quite a depressing conversation, sorry, but when you when you look back at your parents or your grandparents, there are some things that they thought were completely normal, which we've now realized really mm. wasn't you know, wasn't the way to do things. And so thinking about what those those subjects were, we really thought the fashion industry would be one of them, where I don't know what the, the equivalent is in Melbourne, but in the UK, every person I know who's my age was a complete top shock addict yeah, when totally. we were teenage. Right. So we just we'd spend the, every Saturday, our hobby, it's literally a hobby was shopping and we would go and, you know, spend every penny that we'd earned through pocket money and little jobs on clothes that we didn't really know or care about the quality of. And it was all about just like what we wanted to wear that weekend and um, cramming them all in our wardrobes and yeah, being very flippant about it. And I think we we could sort of pretend we didn't know the full impact of that, but I think realistically we probably started to understand a bit about oh well they're not made here and where are they made who makes them we probably knew a bit more than we let on and I think um I think it is one of those industries that our kids will be like but you knew you just kept buying stuff and you knew that that wasn't okay and so with that in mind I I before I went to Uganda I sort of stopped buying on the high street I just didn't trust where it was where it was being made and and started investigating smaller ethical brands and there were Fewer around back then, but still some nice ones. And obviously, there's so many now that are amazing. And we, um, my friends would ask me uh, a guidance on uh, which ethical brands to buy from. And I became sort of this like oracle of ethical brands. (laughs) It's always been of interest. And then in Uganda, I got to see the fashion industry right at the other end. So I was growing, we were growing cotton, buying cotton from farmers. And we were the first fair trade cotton producers in East Africa. We were organic certified. Um, I could see, again, the impact the fashion industry could have in a positive way if it was done well. And so all of this was brewing. When I was at Clearly So, working with entrepreneurs, I really got the entrepreneurial bug and I knew I wanted to go and give it a go myself and try and build something important. And so the fashion industry was an obvious place to start, not because I actually know that much about fashion. I do now, but I really didn't when I started. But more because I knew it was a topic I was so passionate about that when times Got tough in the business, which of course they're going to, then I would have enough resilience and determination to get up and keep going because I cared about it a lot. And so, with that in mind, started looking for business models that could impact the fashion industry positively. And, you know, really the biggest issue in the fashion industry is overconsumption. And so the rental model makes a lot of sense. And in the UK, 15 months ago when I started the business, really hadn't taken off in any way whatsoever. And so it just seemed like a really great opportunity to explore.
1: Gosh, so exciting. So tell us a little bit more about OnLoan itself. What actually is it and how does it work?
0: Yeah, so we're a a fashion rental service. We loan great clothes to women for work and the weekend um, every month. So our customers sign up to a monthly subscription. They pick one of two packages, a two-item package or a four-item package. Um, They select from our website some beautiful clothes to borrow. Uh, We post them out. They wear and enjoy them for the whole month. And then when they're ready, they send them back and swap them out for something new. And so we work directly with uh, premium contemporary designers to do this. So we purchase product from them wholesale. And we take care of all of the garment care in between rentals. So we do all of the washing and the cleaning in-house to get clothes looking almost, almost as good as new again before they go back out to customers. So, yeah, from from a customer perspective, we're kind of there for their fashion hit but without them having to buy into fast fashion and from a business perspective we are a fashion company but behind the scenes we're really a logistics and data company.
1: How have you convinced consumers to move to the online platform? I imagine that in the beginning it's sort of the eco-minded or those that are really interested in having something different but how are you convincing sort of those that are sort of on the fringes um, and, and how are you seeing behaviors change from what I hope is a is a dying fast fashion era?
0: Yeah, so I think I think we timed the starting of the business impeccably. <laughs> I don't know if every entrepreneur just thinks that because they get into their little bubble and it suddenly looks like it's all about fashion rental, um, or whether it's true. But it definitely did feel that way. That we really couldn't have, yeah, we couldn't have picked the timing better. There was there are some real really strong trends over the past year that have really helped Fashion Rental in the UK take off. So, you know, just when we started, everyone was obsessed with the Marie Kondo Netflix series. So everyone was clearing out their wardrobe, not wanting it full of stuff, feeling a bit queasy when they opened their wardrobe and it was just like spilling everywhere. Um, There was that. There was Extinction Rebellion in the UK. I don't know if you saw, but blockaded Oxford Circus, which is kind of extraordinary so they were parked literally outside chop chop with a big boat and a camp and really making a statement about um just the sort of yeah how that that level of consumption just has to end we can't continue like that and they um you know regardless of what anyone thinks of their tactics they made national news every day for for weeks which is really impressive and so there was there was that headwind as well and then there was this um sort of Uh, just general demise of the high street. And, and, you know, I know we'll talk about coronavirus in a bit and how that's going to make it, you know, even more dramatic. But you're already seeing Topshop was in financial difficulties. Um, I think people were getting quite fed up with the sort of lack of quality and lack of care and um, thought that was going into clothes that were produced and people were looking for, for an alternative to fast fashion to the high street. None of which had really been true in the UK before. I mean, Topshop was absolutely king for so long. They used to have a show at um, London Fashion Week, which is extraordinary, really. And so those days have really moved on. And I think the customer is just, yeah, the customer's ready and a bit over it. So so in terms of who's excited about rental then, you're absolutely right. Our first movers were the sustainability crew. We had a really lovely sort of first set of customers who... Told us that they would genuinely been waiting for it. <laughs> so you know they they knew they knew rental was happening in other countries and couldn't quite believe that no one in the UK had done it properly and well yet. And so they were just really excited we were here. So that was lovely. And then, but then it's interesting. It, it, you know, beyond that, it's really customers of all ages, like quite a wide selection of demographic. You know, we're a premium product, but it's still pretty broad and all over the country rural and urban it's a huge mix and I think that's just testament to the idea that this is this is kind of a era of reckoning for fashion and people are really ready for yeah for doing it a different way.
1: What I love about it when I was taking a look around the website it, the the emphasis on curation
0: kind of stems from one of our open, low quality offerings on the high street have have dampened that love for fashion a bit and, you, and you, we hear this from customers all the time you know they don't we we all have had that moment when retail therapy or you know buying something new has given us that lovely jolt of pleasure <laughs> but actually we also have all experienced that moment where you buy something and you, you don't really know if you love it and you're starting to feel guilty because you kind of got one similar to it and if then it goes through one wash and it falls apart and it doesn't actually give us that great feeling anymore and so we want to reinvigorate that and just come back to an era where yeah people really loved clothes but respected them and Maybe knew a bit more about fabrics and different cuts and different embellishments and you know what worked and what didn't. We think there's a great history of, for that, um, you know, particularly in the UK. We're really proud of the UK's fashion industry, like the '60s era and uh, some great designers that have come out of here. And yeah, just want to re just want to bring it all back. And so our role in doing that, we think, is to is to create a really great selection of brands. And we we really carefully choose the brands we work with. We do it based on ones that we think are fantastic quality they've got a really strong fashion point of view they have their own values you know they stand for something as a business and they're not creating kind of hype pieces that are what we call a moment in lust instead of forever <laughs> in love and like a, you know they're not they're not about creating something that's just going to be like shoot round instagram but then be forgotten about in a few weeks they're about creating really great clothes that have a long life and we truly believe that those clothes are it like just as exciting, if not more exciting than the hype Instagram heavy pieces. Um, and so we work with brands who get that. And they're all in this premium contemporary segment. So they're, they're sort of priced um, anywhere between 150 and 400 pounds retail. It's UK pounds. And so they're sort of more expensive than what you'd find on the high street to buy. Um, but they're not sort of super high-end luxury. Um, we actually found not, you know, people love the concept of wearing a Gucci dress but actually no one wants to wear one to work because it would seem a little out of place and we're in that middle section where it's this great clothes that you'd love to be able to afford to buy all the time but can't and so um, rental gives you the opportunity to wear them and and what's really exciting about that segment is that actually that that sec premium segment doesn't exist as a sort of boutique or as a collection of brands even in normal retail in the UK so you have Netta Porter but that goes all the way up to Gucci and um, and then you have a lot of small boutiques, but there's nowhere sort of central for those premium brands. So we love being a voice of them. Um, I guess the other thing to mention is we, we try really hard to support uh, fashion brands in that segment that have really strong sustainable values. So not all of our brands put sustainability front and center. You know, First and foremost, we're about tackling the overconsumption problem. And we want to do that by having great clothes. But lots of them do. So some favourites that spring to mind: Maggie Marilyn, which is the New Zealand brand, um which is just their extraordinary founder who started it right out of university and is now stocked all around the world and just makes beautiful clothes. But every single um, moment along the supply chain has been analysed by the team and and thought about, and they're constantly improving the sustainability side. Um, we love them, and then there's a there's a whole handful of others like that. So we we promote those ones hard because. Yeah, we believe in what they're doing, but also because the customer wants it, the customer asks us for to rent sustainable brands is like the ideal icing on the cake.
1: Of course, yeah. I mean, that that sounds just like the perfect combo of things. And uh, the curation element really resonates with me. I think I read another little quote on your website, which said, no more obligation to choose a sensible grey jumper over that standout fashion piece. And that's just me. I mean, that's been my fashion situation now for years where I've just felt guilty and I just end up buying the boring Greg jumper, <laughs> even though I love fashion and I love bold statement pieces. It's just, you know, you can't justify them. So this is such a cool idea.
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly my history as well. Like, you know, I've enjoyed supporting all these smaller, sustainable brands for a long time. But the truth is they they kind of have to produce quite basic looking items because they are, you know, they're not producing at mass. They're normally very small scale to keep the sustainability values going. And so it's really hard to, you know, do a loud print at the scale that they're working at. They need something that's gonna that's gonna be justified in people's wardrobes, even when they're being really thoughtful and careful about what they're adding. And so sim- similarly, I love bright colors. I want to wear, you know, I, I like wearing loud clothes, but I hardly own any because any any time I'd pick something up, i think, well, am I really gonna wear it 30 times? And um, does this really deserve a place in my wardrobe? Obviously, now I have access to a very large wardrobe, so that solves that problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
1: And I imagine that for the brands, it works well for them because I'm sure that it happens reasonably often that, you know, somebody will try a a particular top or a dress and and they love it and they end up actually going and buying it. It's a bit of an advertisement for the brand itself as well.
0: Yeah, Exactly. not all brands get it yet we we've had really we've had really good luck with getting an amazing selection of brands we're super proud of it but there are still some where who are holding out kind of seeing what rental will do the ones who do get it understand that it is a marketing channel for them absolutely so we you know we track which of our customers are wearing a brand for the first time and it's sort of well over 70 percent and so that's every time that happens that's somebody wearing an item of clothing from a brand who probably wouldn't have done that they've now experienced the quality they've seen how great that brand is and will you know may well go on and become a customer for them i think that's only going to get more important i think um you know it, it the the price point we work at it is a big commitment to go and buy something for 200 pounds is huge you know I would save up for a long time to do that and so but if you could rent it first for a whole month and know that you'd absolutely fallen in love with it then it makes it a lot easier to make that purchase
1: yeah, Um gives new meaning yeah. to try before
0: you buy. Exactly. We're like the long term try before you buy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I also like your campaign, which I saw on LinkedIn, which is in with the new, in with the old. And which I thought is quite a cool idea. It's sort of that pool is not really correlated with age. Uh, so in practice, does that mean that that you keep sort of all the lines uh, as well as the the sort of newest stuff from brands?
0: Yeah. But, um, firstly, I love that you saw it on LinkedIn. That's yeah. so great. I don't know why, um, but that's why I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Uh, side note: I'm really, I I'm really intrigued by LinkedIn for us because our customer it tends to be. We have a, a big proportion of our customers that's sort of the you know working woman who works at corporates and I know she spends time on LinkedIn so how you build a fashion brand marketing channel through LinkedIn I'm really intrigued by so thank you for being a data point for that no (laughs) pubs. but yeah that campaign was uh yeah with our launch of the of the latest collection um and um in with the old in with the new is exactly that it's all about new doesn't equal best um and I think the fashion industry has just hammered this point home for years and years and years that like the newest and latest and greatest hype thing is the best thing. And, you know, we know that for the planet that's been really disastrous. And so we we just think a great piece of clothing could be a really well-made, fun pair of trousers from three seasons ago. And that if it's new to you, then that's just as exciting as buying something that is newly in the shops. It's that it's the new-to-you-ness that is better and more important than the sort of newness on the planet. And so we do keep items for... For a while. So we're, the business has only been operating for, started in September 2018. So we're like, yeah, how old are we? 15 months old? No, I can't do the math 17 months old. Less than two. Yeah, less than two. That's what I was trying. I'm like, are we one and a half? Yeah, I guess we are one and <laughs> a half. Yeah. um So yeah, we as yet haven't had to get rid of any of our stock. So we're still holding on to everything. Um, we have a small amount that's that we've you know taken out of stock because it doesn't meet quality control anymore and we're learning loads about which fabrics that applies to and that obviously feeds back into our buying but in general most things are still being loved and enjoyed and actually it's really nice as we're going into spring watching customers despite the coronavirus situation and still loaning some of the spring summer collection from last year without even thinking about it and that's just absolutely part of the business, we, we think they're great clothes.
1: What I loved about the UK, I mean, Lala and I grew, both grew up in South Africa where at least when we were teenagers, you could only really have one style. You know, there was only one thing ever in fashion or one sort of particular, you know, type of style in fashion at, at a time. You would never have the sort of custom style, uh, which I think is what's emerging now, where it's not all about sort of staying on trend. It's about developing your own thing and what, you know, looks good on you and what you feel good in and i think this rental fashion model is perfect for that it's perfect for sort of developing your own sense of what works and, and you know you it, if that means you know buying something from eight seasons ago then you know who cares
0: yeah totally i think i think you're spot on this it's really fascinating we're in this era where um there isn't a particular trend that everyone is following and that's not really been true before you know you, you had a very very clear look for each decade or, or even you know like shorter periods of time than that um through history whereas now I think probably because of Instagram and just kind of access to all different aesthetics all in one place has really blown that apart and that's really exciting for sustainable fashion because it means it's not about you know they suddenly decide that I don't know cropped cropped wide leg trousers are the thing to have and so they have to produce more of them so everyone can have one actually it's about finding out what looks great on you and what you find fun right now and taking inspiration from all kinds of different places and piecing your wardrobe together based on that. And that's, I think that's a really good thing for sustainable fashion because it moves away from that, like, you must have the latest thing kind of
2: vibe. Tamsin, I just want to quickly zoom out for a sec. How has the uptake been so far? I know you mentioned that um, you had a sort of perfect storm with Extinction Rebellion and Mori Kondo and all these things happening that was driving awareness towards this sort of model. But are the numbers what you expected? Are you seeing a growth of people signing up?
0: Um, yeah, they are. So we've, we've grown, what have we grown? We've grown about 20% a month in the last nine months, not including this month. I know we'll get on and talk about coronavirus, but so that is slightly, um, uh, yeah, just a slightly different experience running sure. a business through a crisis. But until then, we were growing, yeah, double digits every month and and also just like tapping into different pockets. As I say, we kind of started with the sustainability focused consumer. Um, we then ended up finding quite a lot of freelance creatives. So people who um, uh, worked in the fashion industry, but sort of adjacent to it in some way. So probably loved clothes, but maybe didn't have the budget to be buying premium clothes regularly. Um, and then we more recently still kind of tapped into this, um, want of a better word, corporate customer. So women who were in kind of client-facing roles who needed to look smart and professional and all the time, but again, love clothes and fashion and so wanted to mix the two without having to buy um, lower quality stuff. So yes, it feels like not only have we grown, but we're really starting to learn about these different segments that we, we hope will continue to grow once the world has righted itself a bit. And then the fashion, the, the fashion rental industry in the UK has grown as a whole. So since we started, probably 10 rental companies have popped up and there really was only one before. Yeah, it's been, it's been bizarre and wonderful. And, you know, it's it, it always that thing of, oh, God, here's another one. Um, but actually, you can only think it's a good thing because it it's telling you that there's a demand there. And so it's really interesting seeing, like, now, I think there's a sort of real plethora of different brands and different ways of doing the business. So the customer's got a lot more options in the UK than she had just 12 months ago, which is really exciting.
2: Gee, it just shows you it's exploded. And did the concept first originate in the US?
0: I think so. Yeah, I think Rent the Runway. they're the huge business in the US. They're a um, unicorn, you know, worth over a billion dollars. They started more than 10 years ago now. I think they really did a lot of the hard work for everybody else. You know, for, for them having to go and convince a brand that they were going to rent out their clothes must have been such an uphill battle. And whereas for us, you know, we could really ride on their coattails a bit. So I think it originated there and in the US the market is a lot more mature so you have rental, big rental companies for different segments of the market whereas in the UK it's like a scramble right now. Um, I don't know what it's like in, I don't know what it's like in Australia but I hear that there are quite a few rental companies that are quite popular.
2: I I believe so. Yeah there
1: are quite a few yeah that have popped up. Yeah we haven't explored them yet but um, I feel very inspired to now after this conversation. (laughs)
2: yeah
0: good well maybe i'll ask you afterwards joy we're like which ones you like because we're always keen to hear who's doing it well globally yeah for
1: sure
2: i just wonder yeah as it enters people's consciousness and it sort of spreads whether you think this idea can be taken at scale and eventually maybe become the new normal
0: trick question because i definitely do what i wouldn't be doing <laughs> 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 i'm not going to force that one i don't think it'll stay small <laughs> yeah i think i think it'll be really big i think the u.s has demonstrated that you can grow huge businesses in rental um and i think if anything just the market is so much more ready for it than it was when rent the runway their competitors started you know i think there are hurdles to overcome in the uk so, some hurdles i thought were there just aren't really there so when we very first started the business, we got asked a lot, particularly by people older than me, whether we thought people would be worried about wearing clothes that somebody else had been wearing the month before. Mm. And mm. how to say, we just we just never hear that being an issue. I think the rise of like secondhand sales sites, so in the UK, it's Depop that's huge, and or Vestia Collective, or in the US, it'd be like Poshmark. And, Others, So they've really normalized just wearing secondhand clothes in a really big way. And that, you know, once you're okay with wearing secondhand clothes, then rental is just an extension of that. Mm -hmm. So we don't have any, we've not got any kind of come across any hang ups around wearing something someone else has worn, which is great. I think the challenges to scale in the UK, you know, I think every business in the UK is very early in the journey of the logistical side of things. So it is an intensive logistical business. You know, we, lots of fashion brands complain about the level of returns that they get. So we're a hundred percent returns and ideally uh, if it's gone right, we are a hundred percent return. And and then we have to get that item through a um, cleaning and stain removal and mending, steaming and kind of preparing process. And that is, yes, it's, it is a process. It's detailed. It's. Um, it takes a lot of organisation. It's really important that we do it fast because we want those clothes ready to go back out again and be, you know, earning money for the business again and being enjoyed. And so we decided to to build all that in house, and that is a huge undertaking. Wow. Um, but we did it because we don't think there's so that there's sort of one or two players in the UK who could have done it for us outsourced. But we decided that there there wasn't anyone kind of doing it in a really innovative and tech driven way, and I think it's gonna. It's going to be an interesting few years ahead where there's kind of increasing competition in, on that side of the business, So, which can only be a good thing. We need we basically need a few different companies who are all trying to keep clothes in great condition, and then they can all be competing against each other so that everyone can find out the best ways to do it. And that is of massive value to the industry. This is like, we will take your beautifully made garments and make sure that they can last 30 wears, and that's, I'm really excited about that part. Um, personally but it is a huge challenge and no one really knows how to do it yet
2: so my my next question actually was you know what have been some of the big challenges but I think you've you've answered that and um, that certainly is a massive undertaking so how big is that team
0: yeah so we're still really small so as a total team we're um we're six full-time and then about four part-time and at the moment there's uh, yeah everyone still pitches in on different things all the time so if we have a particularly busy time of the month, I still find myself packing orders. And right now through coronavirus, it's basically me and my co-founder packing orders because we you know, we won't let anyone else in the warehouse. So we're still small enough that that's possible, but really by the skin of our teeth. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're, I guess in some ways we feel lucky to be small enough that that's possible. But yeah, that's definitely a side of the business that will be very resource intensive. Um, but I'm, re- I'm genuinely really excited about it. I think you know, when you look at the future of um business i think one of the big growth areas and it needs to be a growth area but i think it will be as well which is around keeping assets in use for longer i think anyone who can build a business that has a strong strong skill set in keeping things in use will do really well in the next sort of 20 30 years because we all know for our planet that we that that's what has to happen and a lot of those skills have been lost they used to be done largely by individuals and homes And I think we'll see an era where they're done largely by businesses, but we have actually need to just refine the skills in the first place. So I love that part of the business. I love learning which fabrics wash well, which don't, which embellishments fall off, which ones don't, which, what, you know, what kind of breaks in a fabric are easy to fix and which aren't. And um, not only do we use all that data to make our processes more efficient, but we also give that back to the brands. So we will sit down with our brand partners and talk them through which of their fabrics lasted, which didn't. And, um, and hopefully they're using some of that kind of feedback into their design process.
2: So you touched on coronavirus. Can you tell us how that has impacted you? Uh, you know, obviously you've said that you've had to scale down your operations to just you uh, and your co-founder, but are you finding there's a little bit less interest in the space or, or more perhaps?
0: Yeah, so it's, it's definitely had a big impact on us. Two key ways. So, one is our sort of key value proposition for our customer is around work wear. So we're renting a lot of a lot of what we rent is the customer to wear to work and then out into the evening afterwards, sort of those day to evening outfits. And so having our customer work from home en masse has been, yeah, it's slightly decimated the value proposition, albeit temporarily. So we, um, like I'm a very glass half full kind of person, <laughs> so what we're what we're amazed at is that there is still a large number of our subscribers who are still renting, despite the fact they're not leaving the house, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, so we, lo- we love that we're bringing a bit of joy to a work from home situation. But the U- the UK has been in full lockdown for just over three weeks now. And I think everyone everyone thinks it'll be extended as well. And so we are in a period where, yeah, our revenue numbers are not what we would hope they would be. Um, lots of people have paused their subscriptions whilst they sit at home for a bit. It was pretty painful and stressful at first, I'm not gonna lie. When we first realized how bad it was gonna be, sure. It's one of those one of those entrepreneur moments where you're like, oh, I kind of really wish I wasn't so doing bad. this right now. <laughs> like, but we um we sort of went through that curve, you know, that sort of the the grief and anger curve, and we're totally out the other side. And we're we're actually we're we're really enjoying the um the break from focusing on growth and growing our our subscriber numbers and really going back to focusing on our products. So we're we're going to relaunch the website in a couple of weeks. we fixed a lot of our warehousing and logistical and software. Um, we have done a thorough sweep of, you know, all of our clothes, making sure everything's mended and looking perfect. And then meanwhile, we're sort of really focused on providing content to our customer that has nothing to do with pushing product or sales. And it's just all about, you know, building the brand. And giving them fun and interesting stuff to look at whilst everyone's, you know, not feeling their best. So it's, yeah, it's, it was a, there's a lot of drama at the beginning of the lockdown. Um, but we are very much come out the the side and, and now just a bit grateful for this chance to focus on on the business.
1: But not rapidly expanding into statement
0: loungewear. wear. We, we're not, but we do, um, we, we don't have a single sweater left in the building.
2: <laughs> it,
0: we, we have literally loaned out every single sweater that we own. Um, And we also have done quite a brisk trade in Zoom worthy tops, um, which I assume they're wearing with their pajama Um, bottoms. And then my favourite, yeah, exactly. And then my favourite bit is we um, we've rented some of our most outlandish dresses. So we have a leopard print wrap dress that has marabou feathers on, not real marabou feathers, fake marabou feathers on the sleeves, and it's it's a ridiculous dress. It's like a sort of well, it's like a fancy dressing gown. Um, and again, we have none left in the building because <laughs> I think people will, oh, what? If I'm going to have to sit at home. I'm going to sit at home looking fabulous. And I love <laughs> that. That's yeah. amazing. I, I would
1: love to see someone dressed like that on Zoom.
0: Yeah, it'd be good. I, I I really wish to be a fly on the wall on someone's very serious corporate meeting and they rock up in this dress. <laughs> uh,
2: That's so cool. I, I'm, it, Tamsin, did, did you guys do any market research on whether guys would be into
0: this? We did right at the very beginning. And it feels funny to focus on one gender so much in twenty twenty. It feels a bit old fashioned. <laughs> and we don't you know we don't know for sure that we don't have any male customers. We do have some um customer accounts with male names. Sure. But, but judging what they're renting, we think they are that's their um uh, partner using their sort of work address. But okay. we don't know. Uh we yeah we still ask a lot. We we constantly ask people we meet whether they'd be interested in the men's version and I think the truth is that men continue to be more comfortable with wearing very similar outfits over and over again.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I can attest to that.
0: Rather than, <laughs> rather than mixing it up a lot. Um, the one se- segment that I have heard men would be really interested in renting, though, is formal wear. And I know, obviously, there's a long history of renting formal wear, but it but it tended to be the same formal wear. It tended to be very sort of staid, you know, the grey suit for a wedding. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that... That market's been declining quite rapidly because men, you know, just the cost of buying one meant, meant that it was, just made more sense to buy one and wear it to the next five weddings and, you know, it's fine. But actually, I think guys are a bit bored by that and would love to wear like a fancy jacket or a great waistcoat or, you know, something more interesting. So if we do ever start men's, that's where we would start, which which wasn't what we did with women. We didn't want it to just be about formal wear, but I think for guys, that feels like the in. The other one that we see that apparently is doing well in the US is streetwear. Um, you know, with all the kind of like making sure you've got the latest trainers and stuff. Um, is that oh yeah, the nice? cool Adidas yeah, so limited edition shoes and stuff like that. Exactly. So There's like a rent. There's a couple of rental businesses solely around that for guys as well. Mm, Jeez,
2: so interesting. That really? Is I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, look. I think. I think for the fashion industry coronavirus is is throwing everything up in the air, and no one knows yet where the dust will settle. And who knows men might come out of it all just thinking like that was traumatic and i just want to look flamboyant and how do i do that (laughs) so it's possible.
2: yeah yeah i I need to have the latest trainers and i need to have them now um (laughs) but i can't afford them so i might as well rent them now what, what keeps you up at night besides coronavirus what are you most worried about when you think of the state of the planet now
0: um yeah it's quite hard to think about anything else right now isn't it but i guess that's that is the the point. Is um, you know we're hearing such conflicting scenarios about what the current situation will do to people's interest in sustainability, and you know I keep reading really optimistic blogs about how um, you know people have seen how this pause in consumption can work. I, I think it's astonishing that we're basically going to have an entire season, you know, short season, spring season in the UK, where most people won't have bought any clothes or in many things at all. And that's just going to be staggering to see what impact that has on their mentality around constantly consuming stuff. Mm. Um, So the optimistic in me is like, wow, they might, people might en masse realize that actually that felt better than when they normally buy loads of stuff, or at least that they didn't miss out on anything and therefore they could do it again. Um, And then you also hear the conflicting view, which is, well, if we go into a global recession and people's incomes become pretty squeezed, then you know, one of the first things to go is, is making sustainable choices. And so, mm. yeah, I worry about which way that's going to go. And I think that onus is on brands, like unknown to really help drive the narrative towards the former and not the latter. And you know, I think we, we, we're in this period now where the dust is all up in the air, It's it's gone up, we've gone through the crazy bit where you realize that the explosions happened. And now it's like waiting to start falling down. And it's really, it's, it's, It's like you have to move fast in this moment to try and guide it to form in a way that's going to be better for the planet. And I think it's almost too exciting to think that this could, this pause in consumption could mean something really major, Um, Mm. but it could also not. And so that's what, that's what worries me is which way we're going to
2: turn. It feels like it's a knife. We're on a knife edge here and it could go either way, but certainly while this is happening, Sustainability. I mean, it's hardly on the forefront of the general populi- population's mind. Um, right now, it's 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 not even you know in your unconscious. It's it's really something that falls by the wayside, um, and something that annoys us. You know, day to day, we try and reduce our um, plastic consumption as much as possible. But obviously, with you know having to stay indoors all the time and you know not mm-hmm. being able to bulk shop as easily as we used to you know, inevitably you start, you know, going back to your old ways, which, which, um, which is a bit of a, a, feels like a bit of a punch in the stomach after you've made all this effort to try and live more sustainably. So our worry is that people will, like you say, um, perhaps go back to the way they were, um, forget about the gains, sustainability won't be at the forefront. Um, and I think that's a real concern. And And we've said exactly the same thing. And I mean, <laughs> the hope is that suddenly there's been a shift of consciousness and, and everybody will see, um, or, or take uh, heart in the small things, and and I don't know, change their ways. But uh, I guess you're right. I mean, if you can, if you can, you know, help the dust settle in the best possible place, when it does settle, I guess that's the the way to do it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm sure you've seen that meme where it's um uh, saying that the planet has sent us all to our room to think about what we've done. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> that's a exactly. great meme. It's so good, but I just keep coming back to it. It's like if we could only listen and just, yeah, really just take that to heart, then we really have been given this amazing opportunity to just reset a bit. And every time I see photos of like the the drop in air pollution in all the different cities that are in lockdown, you just, or you know, animals that have come back to areas that they haven't been in before because people aren't in them. There's there's another funny video of um goats taking over villages in Wales that like, people aren't. Yeah. I have to say, I'm not even sure that's just a coronavirus thing. I think that might just be a sort of village in Wales whales type thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it might have actually happen all the time. But I just, every time I see one of those, you just, yeah, the, there's like this real optimistic feeling that this could be a huge moment where we look back on the last hundred years of excess consumption and just think, okay, look, we've got to do it differently. And, and in some ways, it, the timing's good, right? Because the sustainability message was getting louder and louder before this hit. You know, it's not like, we're having to pull on nothing. There's a huge momentum for sustainability and people making better choices. So it it could be, but I think it's going to take a huge effort from everybody who builds, um, who builds culture. So yeah. whether that's business building brands or journalists or um, just like the whole um sort of social sector, it, you know, it's everybody's got to kind of step up, step up and and move quite fast to make sure that it goes one way and not the other.
2: Yeah. What, what is quite exciting though is that. You know, if if we were to put our minds together and make change, look what can be achieved. As you said, I mean all these positive things that are coming out of a terrible, terrible situation, um, there's a lot of heart to take out of that as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's um it's definitely a lot of people have pointed out that governments can do anything. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Globally, even Turns collaborate globally. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <You> <laughs> there's really you know in the face of imminent danger there's really nothing that they can't do and I think there'll be a lot of chat afterwards about how we just convince governments that climate change counts as imminent danger and therefore we need to take just as drastic measures it's like the sort of macro version of what's happening with companies everywhere I've got so many friends who have spent ages trying to persuade their companies to let them work from home and always lost the battle and then oh what do you know suddenly everyone can work from home and it's Really not yeah, it's um, not a big deal at all. Uh, no, exactly. And I feel like it's a parallel. It's like, you know, we, we know we need very strong government and important policies to get climate change tackled. And what do you know? Governments actually have all that capability. So, yeah, that's definitely opened a few doors, I think.
2: We've already discussed the social business model. And this is obviously something you've had a lot of experience in, given your previous roles. And now, of course, as the founder of OnLoan, but what is it about these business models that appeals to you most?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think for me it's the business part of that that needs to be kind of justified, not the not the social impact or the better part of it. Um, it feels to me like a no-brainer that you'd want to to create organisations that leave the status quo better for people in the planet than you had before. And as I said at the beginning, I think you know. I, when I started my career, I always thought it was sort of charities and social sector organizations that did that. And what I've learned is that it can definitely be businesses. And so to me, the appeal of combining business with uh, social impact is that you combine all of that uh, drive towards efficiency that you get in businesses. And and in particular, that focus on the the value that you're providing to the customer. You know, you, the business lives or dies by providing the customer with something that is more valuable than they can get elsewhere. and if you can align that with um, something socially positive, then it can be um, just just really, really powerful because now you have a whole organization engineered not to be, they're not engineering themselves to try and raise grant funding or they're not engineering themselves to try and please donors, but they're doing it to create value for that end user or that end customer. And that's where I think combining the two can just be really powerful.
2: And speaking of, of, of powerful and positive things, are, are there any... Specific projects, initiatives, or businesses that come to mind that have inspired you.
0: I tend to get my inspiration really close to home, so I'm always like very inspired by my parents and by um yeah friends working on great things. I'm I'm more of a yeah definitely the things that really inspire me and get me working harder tend to be close um, relationships. I often draw on um what would Charles do? So Charles was. The guy who ran the cotton ginnery in Uganda and he was he was a um, Ugandan from a different part of Uganda he trained he, he not got a high school diploma he trained as a ginnery machine technician which basically means you can fix um, the machines that you use in a cotton ginnery um, and he'd gradually worked his way up the organization and then been asked to run the ginnery in Gulu which ended up by the time I was there was doing about five million in turnover at uh, five million pound and it, it, yeah, it was so cool. He had like four hundred employees, and as I say, about ten, fifteen thousand farmers he was buying from. And you know, it's like the Wild West in that town as, a, as the first <laughs> business of the time, and no real sort of rule of law. You couldn't point to a contract to do anything. You had to do it all through um, building trust and building relationships. And Charles was just this extraordinary businessman who had buckets of empathy, and everyone knew that he cared deeply, and he was super determined and never gave up. and you know, we, we we had a new disaster every week. There'd be a, a fire that would come close to burning all the cotton or a truck would fall over and block the main trade route to Sudan covered in cotton bales. Just all sorts would happen and he was unflappable and would always do everything, as I say, with loads of empathy and just like taking people with him rather than just directing from the front. And yeah, I thought he was amazing and feel privileged to have worked with him. So I, I genuinely often think what would Charles do if wow. <laughs> he was running If he was running a fashion business based in East London. (laughs) (laughs) But but if he was, I'm sure he'd smash it.
2: (laughs) Wow. Sounds like a cool guy. That story is just super inspirational. And what advice do you most often give to aspiring mission-based entrepreneurs?
0: So, so yeah, I I used to talk to a lot of mission-based entrepreneurs through my previous role. The, The biggest part of my job was... Working with entrepreneurs on getting their business model and financial model in shape, ready to meet investors. And I think the topic that came up most often—that's that's slightly different to just your general entrepreneur, um, who is, you know, they they have all the same problems around um, focusing on cash and hiring the right people and just everything. Um, but the added bit was really around knowing that there are going to be clashes between your mission and growing the business. And I think there's a lot of debate around whether there is a correlation or an anti-correlation between impact and, and growth in a business. And it's to me, it's a complete misnomer. It's like it depends on the business and it depends on the particular issue that you're tackling. And I think the most important thing is to always be honest with yourself and with the team and with your investors and with your customers about what those conflicts between mission and revenue and growth and profitability are and how you're approaching them, and a kind of honesty with yourself that you're you you are going to have to try and balance the two, because you want the business to succeed, so you need it to make a profit, and you want to have an impact, otherwise there's no point doing it in the first place, but that they will come into conflict, and just pausing and being honest with yourself and having people you can talk it through with is really, really important.
2: Sustainable fashion is, it's really in stock. Contrast there, the, the fact that you're trying to create, uh, at least from, from fashion designers and manufacturers perspective, garments that are sustainable, which is great. But obviously, you know, the business side of things you're trying to sell and to make the business thrive, you need to sell a lot. So that that to me is is a case in point.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and we have the flip side of that. So, you know, we, we are tackling that overconsumption problem. We hope that we know that a lot of our customers buy fewer clothes as a result of renting. Um, but we, we know that in order to get rental going, we need to have the best product. So we need the, we need really, really great clothes. And some of those clothes are manufactured in really careful and very sustainable ways. And some of the brands we work with are right at the beginning of their sustainability journey. Absolutely. None of them are not thinking about it at all. Like it's, it's become a bit of a hygiene factor. Like you have to be thinking about it, but you know, it's a long road to a very sustainable brand and so some are much earlier. And so yeah, so for us, that's a balance. We, you know, we're, we're looking at working with a brand, and we we can't know its supply chain inside out at the moment. We like, do we still work with them because we think the product's great and that's going to convert people to rental? And and you just have to have those conversations openly, and not try and paint a picture too glossy one way or the other. Not trying to pretend you're something you're not, and just um, see everything as a journey that you can learn on and improve on as you go.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. Progress, not perfection, right, as they say? Exactly, exactly that. Now, Tamsin, what's next for for you guys at OnLearn in the coming year? Anything exciting planned? I suppose it's uh, waiting for the dust to settle first. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> survive, survive this bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm feeling confident that we will survive this bit and come out the other side. And then you were really excited about um, – uh, like exploring different marketing channels. Funnily enough, we were just about to launch a, um, a sort of series of pop-ups, like in real life pop-ups. Oh, cool. Essentially like brand shows. Um, I'm really glad we hadn't actually launched them because we would have had to immediately stop doing them. But I think people are gonna be craving um, human interaction and kind of face-to-face contact and getting to know people behind brands. So we wanna spend a large part of the, um, our marketing resource just getting out and meeting our customers face-to-face in whatever way we can. I'm really excited about that. Um, possibly because I'm craving human interaction. Maybe that's what I think. <laughs> like that. I'm planning on a whole year Based on me getting out of the house. There's <laughs> that. We're also really excited about adding new brands to our roster. So we just signed up um, some uh, a brand called Joseph, which is just amazing. Like the dream workwear brand, um, French, a French brand that's been around for a while. Um, and Stina Goya, which is a really cool um, Scandinavian brand, and Shrimps, which is one of the most fun UK brands. And so for us, we've really reached the point where we are signing up absolute dream brands that we probably a year ago didn't think we could get. So we're really excited to be in that position and keep doing that. Um, and, and a long sort of corollary of that is that we really want to work more closely with those brands. I think they are all going to have been through um, a pretty astonishing period for their business. You know, many of them have had to stop selling entirely. They've had to furlough employees. Um they're wondering you know which of their wholesale partners are going to be alive in for ready for the next season. And we are we're doing the rounds at the moment talking to all of them and and um, you know making sure that they understand that rental can be a really helpful part of their future and getting a great reception. So I'm really excited about closer relationships and sort of, helping our brands through what is going to be a very strange year for fashion. Um, yeah. Growing the team a bit, getting even better at logistics. Um, yeah, that's it. There's loads of stuff on the table. So
1: much. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good year ahead. Hopefully COVID wraps up wraps up its operations soon so we can all get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> now, one um, sort of zoom out question that's a little bit esoteric, I think, but... Um, We like to ask it on this podcast because we always get really good, interesting answers. But if you could have one message truly heard by every human on the planet, what would it be?
0: Stop buying clothes you won't love forever. Rent them instead. (laughs) Very good. Nice. Succinct. I like it.
2: (laughs) Definitely on brand.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very selfishly all about on (laughs) loan. But it would have a big impact. So... So
1: yeah, I think that's what I would do. It would have a massive impact. Absolutely. And on that note, where can people find online, on loan online? I practiced this beforehand, but it is such a tongue twister. <laughs> on loan online and sign up to the online, on loan
0: platform. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You <laughs> got did, through it. Although... How do they sign up? How do, the, how do people sign up? It's going to be a challenge. Um, yeah, exactly. You can find us on Instagram at onloan.co, or you can find us online at on loan.co and it's not.com .co. so just making sure it gets through um, and apparently you can also find us on linkedin so that's good yeah <laughs> you can i can verify that <laughs> well we'll put
1: all of those links in our show notes we put up a little um set of talking points sort of like with time boxes so if anybody wants to jump around and in the interview they can do that um and then we'll also add the links to all of those uh at the end including um how people can sign up so should be easy enough to do thank you so much for chatting with us we're super (laughs) excited to see where on loan goes from here thank you thank you so much it's been really lovely to talk to you both we absolutely agree that fast fashion is over and fashion rental is the way of the future what do you think are you ready to try fashion rental perhaps you're already there and renting away well it's certainly something we are going to try for sure in the meantime thank you for listening and we will catch you next time